Well, good morning. It's great to be with you again, and uh, we were here, I was here on uh, January 8th, and uh, that was an opportunity for me to preach before you, and it's so exciting to be back, uh, and for actually, hopefully a long time. We, we, we hope it'll be a, a year or so, and, and uh, that uh, we go through this transition together. So I do want to read the scripture this morning, it's from Mark chapter 9, uh, verses 38 through 50, it's in the New International Version, and so hear the word of the Lord. Uh, teacher said, John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. For no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. I tell you the truth. Whoever, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. And if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. <laughs> it's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. By the way, that's a quote from Isaiah 66. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this reading of the word. These are difficult words. And we pray that you would guide us and use us and help them to, to, to help to make these words clear to us in a way that, that makes sense for us, in a way that we can live out. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, good morning. I'm Dave Moore. And uh, I'm going to be serving as your transitional pastor, okay? And so I, I want you to know, first of all, right, right away, um, I, I'm going to need help with remembering your names. You're probably going to have to say your names to me three or four or five times, okay? And I just, I want to apologize for that. There's a reason for that. Um, you know, do you know that kid's song, Head and Shoulders, Knees and Toes, Knees and Toes? You know that one, right? Well, when you get older... Um, you start singing a different song. It's glasses, wallets, keys, and phone. <laughs> keys and phone, right? And, and so, uh, so you're going to probably have to say your name to me a few times. Um, and I, I know some people like to use the word interim pastor. Uh, both are similar. Eco prefers the term transitional pastor uh, because there needs to be some times of change and development and understanding during a transition. So a transitional pastor learns the best part of the DNA of Good Shepherd Presbyterian Church. 
Okay, so think about that, right? What are the things that we do best when we're together? Now, there's a lot of congregations that will say when we eat. <laughs> okay, so I understand that, right? But, uh, but, you know, what are the things that we do best? What's the best part of our DNA? Now, at the same time, um, there, you know, those are things that are the, the, right at the core of our identity. But a transitional pastor also needs to focus on identifying wounds and hurts. And, and those may be something that one of you has experienced personally. Um, you know, maybe it was something someone said to you or somebody did to you. Or maybe it's something that the church did. Uh, and, and, you know, we want to talk about those as well. And those are, that's going to be a little bit more difficult, Right. Um, a transitional pastor uh, needs to seek out, seek to advance the kingdom of God at Good Shepherd, right? So we know that the, the spirit of God is moving, right? That the God is, the, when the kingdom, when Jesus announced that the kingdom was active and moving, that he, we know that that's, uh, that, that he's, that started, right? But we also know that we live in what some people call the already, but not yet, okay? So the kingdom of God is moving among us. But at the same time, right, um, there's pain and hurt and suffering and death in the world, right? Okay? And so a transitional pastor seeks to advance the kingdom of God. Now, that, what that means is that we will not stop having baptisms here because I'm just like a transitional pastor. Like, oh, my gosh, we better just put everything on pause. We will not stop inviting people to join the church as covenant partners here. You know, because, because Dave is the transitional pastor, right? We will not stop baptizing both kids and adults here. We will not, we will not stop having professions of faith here. You know, because we, we believe that the kingdom of God is moving among us. And so we, we want to celebrate and support all of those things, the, the ways that God is at work in us, right? Um, so we will not stop having people join the church here. I'm serving, you know, just because I'm serving as your transitional pastor. Now, that means, you know, we're going to be looking at the, the vision and the values and the measures of the church, you know, and we're going to do that together with the session. Uh, that means we're going to have opportunities to serve alongside of, of community leaders. Uh, that means we're going to be honest with each other. Uh, we're going to be transparent with one another. Uh, we're going to include the, the session, the deacons, the congregation, the staff, and, uh, and those connecting with us who have not yet joined the church. And I understand there's a lot of folks who are, you know, coming as, as guests, and we love them, and, and, but they maybe have not decided yet to join the church, okay? And so that's cool. We like, we're excited about that. God willing, you know, I want to serve in that role as a transitional pastor and ultimately hand over to a new pastor, and we don't know how long that will be, Right? Uh, but we, we want to hand over to a new pastor, that, uh, some, a church that is fully prepared to engage in forwarding the, the kingdom of God. Okay? So you heard me say this on January 8th when I preached here. I am not the missionary in the field. You are. Okay? Uh, each one of you is in full-time ministry for the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? 24 hours a day. Seven days a week, 365 days a year, okay? Um, I hope to learn from you. I hope to challenge you, okay? 
and, uh, and I'm, I'm looking forward to this relationship. So I would love to hear from you. I'd love to meet with groups. Uh, if, you know, I'm open to meeting with groups. I'm open to meeting with, uh, with individuals. Um, I, I'm hope, I'd love for you to share with me your ideas and your prayerful discernment about what's next for Good Shepherd Presbyterian Church. Okay, so <laughs> let's, let's talk about uh, today's passage, right? So here's the first part is verses 38 uh, through 41. Uh, teacher uh, said, John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me for whoever is not against us is for us. Truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. Wow. So I think this first part is about gracious orthodoxy. I note that Jesus uses the word uh, Messiah for himself in verse 41. That's, that's really powerful. The word Messiah in Hebrew and the word Christos in Greek mean the same thing. Jesus is saying that he is the Messiah for whom the world has been longing. John alone is mentioned in this, and that's kind of unusual. Normally he's associated with, uh, with jo uh, James, his brother, uh, the sons of thunder, right? Uh, which was not a compliment when Jesus named them that. <laughs> or he's associated with Peter, James, and John, the inner circle for Jesus. Uh, we can easily sense that John feels privilege from his uh, position. And so it doesn't surprise us when James and John ask to be seated at the right hand and the left hand of Jesus when he comes into his glory. In the United States particularly as uh, congregations grow in stature, they can get protective of their property, both physical property and intellectual property. And we might ask, you know, what constitutes true membership in a community? Deuteronomy 13 and 18 uh, have contain, contain warnings about false prophets. In Numbers chapter 11, uh, two men named Eldad and Medad who were not at a gathering at the tent of meeting, but they also prophesied. And Joshua, the son of Nun, told Moses, uh, Moses said, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that God would put his spirit upon all of them. In 1 John 4, Christians discussed the discernment of those who were true to the faith and those who were not. And John's counsel, the Apostle John, everyone who acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and everyone who does not acknowledge this is not from God. And apparently, people of faith, right, we've been challenged with this for a long, long time. So you, you don't see that in the mission field. I, I know missionaries in Bihar State in the north of India. I, I spent a year coaching these missionaries about 50 of them via Skype. Do you remember Skype? <laughs> Before Zoom, right? <laughs> um, we would meet for two hours on Thursday morning at 4 a.m., my time, and two hours on Thursday evening at 4 p.m., and then we repeat that pattern on Friday morning, so it was eight hours a month for 12 months. 
Uh, but these missionaries to the dominant Hindu culture were making a difference. They would go to homes of peace and live there following the instructions of Jesus. They would go two by two following the instructions of Jesus. They would create a worshiping community there and then a church. And they were making a difference with over 50,000 who had decided to follow Jesus Christ. Now, did you know there are four-tenths of one percent of Christians in Bihar State, North India. That means there's 99.6% who are not believers. Okay, now trust me. If you're a Baptist and a Catholic and a Presbyterian who are, you know, who rely, you rely on each other. You serve each other. You pray for one another. If you're in that context. I was working with believers who had not made a commitment to a denomination but I love serving them. On the other hand, we have a passage in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, which seems to suggest the opposite of a gracious orthodoxy. Whoever is not with me is against me, <laughs> and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Well, how, can, how can Jesus say one thing in Matthew 12 and then say the opposite in Mark 9? I think the important thing here is context. Okay, In the first passage, Mark 9, Jesus is supporting this kind of gracious orthodoxy, a welcome for believers of all kinds, provided they have placed their trust in the Messiah. In the second passage, Jesus is dealing with the threats and the accusations of the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the time, who are constantly attacking him and every decision that he makes, including when Jesus heals people. So, you know, we may certainly have quarrels and disagreements with the over 40,000 denominations that exist in the world. Oh my gosh, God have mercy. We may differ with their approaches, but we keep Jesus as the main thing, the core beliefs of our faith. So, I want to address the first part of the next verse, and then we'll talk about the other verses. Uh, so here's the next verse, is verse 42. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. Now apparently uh, Jewish believers had, a, had a, a, a real problem with drowning in the ocean. And so that's a, kind of a part of what's going on here. Uh, verse 41 uh, suggested that if someone does something for good, like giving a cup of water in the name of the Messiah, that is counted to their favor. So verse 42 continues that thought. If someone does something wrong, for bad or for evil, to one of these little ones who believe in me, that is counted against them. Now this one is tough. But it's pretty easy for us to dismiss, at least for me to dismiss, right? Uh, you know, I, I, thank God I am not one of those people, right? I'm not out there sexually molesting kids. I'm not part of the scandal of the Catholic Church and all the cases of sexual abuse. I'm not part of the cover-up in the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, keep in mind that every other tradition has their share of accusations. 
right? Catholic, Protestant, non-denominational, Baptist, Presbyterian, all the rest. You can even find some, you can always find someone to accuse. An eco-pastor in Florida had an accusation a couple of years ago, right? But that's not me. I'm off the hook, right? I'm not so sure. I think Jesus says these words to challenge us. Jesus wants us to think about our behavior before others. So the title of the message today is These Little Ones, but I could have added the words, Those Who Believe in Me. What does it cause, what does it mean to cause the little ones who believe in Jesus to stumble, right? I'm just going to mention a couple of things, and then I'm sure there's all sorts of other things we could think about. But I'm, I'm aware right now of the crisis with teen girls, Okay? The incredible rise in self-harm, the attempts at suicide, the, the growing numbers of suicide attempts. Jonathan Haidt is a sociologist who writes for several journals, including The Atlantic. He recently posted an article about the rates of depression in teen girls. In 2005, it was 13% of teen girls. In 2020, it was 25%. You know, do we have teen girls in this congregation who believe in Jesus? How do we come alongside them? You know, how do we help them in the journey with social media, the filters, the enhanced images on Instagram, the sale of fentanyl on Snapchat disguised as antidepressants? For that matter, how do we come alongside those who believe in Jesus and serve them well as part of their journey through teen years, boys and girls, right? I have a friend on, on Facebook and Instagram who's always posting highly filtered pictures of herself, right? Um, at the same time, she recently went through a divorce. But the pictures appear to be of a perfect and filtered life. We tend, I tend to post the best parts of myself on Facebook and on Instagram. I do that. You know, oh man, I'm going to California. I'm so excited, right? You know? <laughs> um, and, 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 you know that, and yet we challenge that as well. You know? Kids are hungry for love. Kids are hungry for love. I don't know if you know this, but there was a re there's recently been a revival at Asbury. Uh, college. Now, you know, again, I, 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 I've not been there, so I, I can't tell you. It'd be fascinating to go. Brian, road trip. <laughs> All right. Um, but anyway, the, the, the guy who preached at the start of the revival, this is really fascinating. He felt like his sermon was a complete bomb, like it totally failed. Okay. But at the end of the sermon, he said, you know, are there any kids who need to stand up and come forward and receive the love of God through Jesus Christ? And there was I, I don't know, something like 15 or 16 kids who stood up and came forward. And that's what started the revival. Okay? Now, the revival is, it's amazing, right? Several did, right? And then the word spread, and not just at Asbury, at Lee University in Tennessee, at Cedarville University in Ohio, at Sanford University at Alabama, at Wheaton University in Chicago. Kids are hungry for love. 
Kids are hungry for God's love. Okay? And so, you know, we, want, we, we all want this church to grow, right? And, you know, some of us want that for all the right reasons, right? And I'm sure probably some of us want it for other reasons as well, right? But, you know, do, do we desire this church to grow? Absolutely we do. We want to see overflowing membership. We want to see additional services. We want to see all baptisms and, and adults professing their faith, all that good stuff, right? So think about this, right? What does it mean for us to go from the front porch, and this is an illustration I heard, to the living room, to the kitchen? Track with me for a minute, okay? So the front porch is you're on... You're on the, 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 uh, the, at the door, and you're knocking, but you're not sure whether you're going to be let in. <laughs> All right? The living room is a little bit more formal. All right? Um, but you're in the house. The kitchen, in most places, that's where all the, 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 that's when you're a part of the family. Right? Isn't that true for a lot of us? That's when you're part of the family, man. You're, you're in, right? So what would it mean for this church, for Good Shepherd Presbyterian Church, to build relationships with people in our community that would move them from the front porch to the living room to the kitchen? Because if we really are serious about that, then we want to spend time cultivating intimate relationships with people who will then, by experiencing us and our faith, want to experience what we have. Okay? How do we move from the front porch to the living room to the kitchen? Okay. Um, now, here's another challenge. Okay? On June 24th, uh, 2022... The Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade. I'll focus on the family reported on August 17th of 2021 of research done by CareNet. So CareNet research found in a survey of 1,038 women who have had abortions, 70% claim a Christian religious preference and 43% report attending a church monthly or more at the time of their abortion. But distrust of the church's response is widespread, the survey shows. Nearly two-thirds, 64%, believe church members are more likely to gossip about a woman considering abortion than to help her understand her options. Now, I believe that life begins at conception. And if you're an elder or a deacon in an eco church, you agree to support the essential tenets of eco, which contain the words from conception to natural death. At the same time, we have a decision from the Supreme Court. We don't have a solution. How do we lower the number of abortions in our society? How do we come alongside women even women who are in church, and help them to lower the number of abortions. You know, where does abuse of women uh, come into play? Where does abandonment of men 
by men of their partners come into play? Where does men not paying child support come into play? Where does family leave come into play? Where does health care come into play? Where does a living wage come into play? How do we come alongside women who have had an abortion? I'm guessing that there are women at Good Shepherd who have dared to disclose an abortion and have been met with grace and mercy. Thanks be to God. May it be so for all of us. For all of us have sinned. And we have all fallen short of the glory of God. So, man, those are two issues. Teen girls, right? And abortion in churches. Um, But then add to that the other challenges facing us. Poverty, injustice, hatred, racism, pain, hurt, anguish, grief, loss, slavery in other cultures, violence in ours. Distrust of other races and racial ethnic backgrounds. I have more questions than answers, but I know that you and I are intended to bring shalom into every aspect of our culture. Okay? So uh, there's a book, uh, Agents of Flourishing, by Amy L. Sherman. And I've been reading it, Agents of Flourishing. It's pursuing shalom in every corner of society. And one of the things that she mentions in the book is that there's the good, the realm of social mores and ethics, okay? And in the realm of social mores and ethics, that's communion with God. And then there's the true, the realm of human knowledge and learning. And then there's the just and well-ordered, the realm of politic and civic life. There's the prosperous, the realm of economic life. There's the sustainable, the realm of the natural environment. And there's the beautiful, the realm of creativity, aesthetics, and design. All right? So amazingly, right, Dr. Dr. James Edwards, who was the uh, professor emeritus at Whitworth University, wrote a commentary on the Gospel of Mark. And regarding uh, this passage, he commented that there were three elements The causes of sin, which we've started to talk about here in verse 42, the the fire and the salt. Verse 42 places the emphasis, uh, the focus on endangering others. Verse 43 through 48 places the emphasis on endangering self. So here's verse 43 through 48 again. In case you've uh, forgotten it, man, these are difficult words. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. For it is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So, they're, they're, man, these are some really difficult verses about cutting off your hand, cutting off your foot, gouging out an eye. Uh, we know that there were times when followers of Jesus attempted self-flagellation. All right? Uh, so one person decided that they were going to live on a, a pedestal. They were a follower of Jesus and they were just going to live on a, a pedestal, Right? And so then the next person wanted a higher pedestal, and the next person wanted a higher pedestal. Okay, that doesn't seem like that would work. Uh, Some Christians would deny themselves, right? So, you know, I'm going to sleep on a bed of stone, (laughs) right? Well, so then 
the next person says, well, I'm going to sleep on a bed of stone without a sheet. <laughs> and then the next person says, well, I'm going to sleep on a bed of nails. <laughs> right? And that there are some followers of Jesus who have mutilated themselves. Thankfully, the Christian tradition, the larger Christian tradition, is not one of self-flagellation. We live under the grace and the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are saved by faith, not by works, lest any of us should boast. These include the works of mutilation of self. I believe Jesus meant this as a warning to take seriously the cost of sin. He did not mean this as encouragement to mutilate or to self-harm. In, in Greek Platonic thought, the body was considered less important than the mind or the spirit. Not so did Jesus. Jesus wanted financial integrity. He wanted sexual integrity. He wanted physical integrity. There are spiritual consequences to bodily acts. Dr. Edwards says, the metaphors of highs, hands, and feet are all-inclusive of what we view, what we do, and where we go. The metaphors of eyes, hands, and feet are all inclusive of what we view, what we do, and where we go. Now, the Greek word for hell is Gehenna, a place where actually human sacrifice was practiced by a couple of, uh, of leaders of the Jewish faith. Um, and then later on it became a garbage pit where garbage was burned. I believe in hell, but I also believe that these verses in Mark suggest that God's grace is much more powerful. Does God consider little ones who believe in Jesus, who have been led astray? These verses seem to suggest that God does. I am glad that my job description is transitional pastor and not Lord and Sovereign of the entire universe. Are you glad that? That's, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad for that, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, and so what, what ends up happening is God alone is powerful. God alone is sovereign. God alone is wise. So the next text is Mark chapter 9, verses 49 through 50. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. Now, in the ancient world, uh, salt was both preservative and flavoring. Now, there was a reason, among other things, for families going to Jerusalem for the three holiest days of the Jewish faith, right? When they would go there, they would make sacrifices, but part of the sacrifice would go back with them to feed their families, okay? And, and so, depending on what they sacrificed, they would salt it, and they would preserve it, and it would provide for the family. So, what does it mean for us to be preservative and flavoring to Los Alamitos and all the different places where you or I may live, okay? What would it look like if we preserved everyone we met? What, what would it look like if we followed the Hippocratic Oath, first do no harm? 
What would it look like if we added flavor to the lives of others we met? What would it mean if we caused others to flourish? If we truly considered everyone to be made in the image of God and respected that image everywhere we found it. Taken all together, we have wise counsel from Jesus to have a gracious orthodoxy. That means that we know our faith, but we respect people of other faiths in Jesus Christ. We have reason to be cautious of causing others to sin. We have reason to be cautious of causing ourselves to sin. We have reason for being salt in the world, both preservative and flavoring. Well, may it be so. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. So gracious Lord, um, first of all, we just want to thank you uh, for who you are and what you've done for us. We, uh, we, we are saved by your grace, by your mercy. And there's nothing that we could ever have done that would make us worthy of your salvation. But you gave us that gift uh, through uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. We're we're grateful. We uh, we ask God that you would uh, use these difficult words today and, and challenge us. Challenge us about causing others to sin. Challenge us about causing ourselves to sin. Challenge us about a gracious orthodoxy. We, uh, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, that, that you were able to do this. And we pray that, that you would uh, work in us to help us uh, be the congregation here for this new place and this new generation. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>